Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that Valentine's Day is the only day of the year that the guy with the smallest package gets the girl. <laughs> it's Dale. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm not tucking that. I'm not touching that package. You're not tucking that package, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> did I say tuck or did I say tuck? You said, I don't know what you said. Either tuck one. or touching or tucking or I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm not doing any of those things. Okay. I'm not even going to touch that joke. <laughs> okay. He's not tucking that joke at all. <laughs> What's oh, going man. on today, dude? You know, same old, same old, same man. Same old, same old. Good day to be in the house. That's right. You got any good shout outs? Anybody want to talk about before we get on the man, subject? What you talking about? Man. Look here, we loaded up today. Bring it on, dude. As soon as they get through clapping, we'll be on this thing. All right. We have a couple of... A couple, I say. A couple of... A uh, couple, you say. Apple, I say. Apple I say, podcast, boy, uh, Five-star reviews there. Five-star. Five-star. That's right. First coming in is the Angry Redhead. How about that? Angry Redhead. That kind of scared me at first. <laughs> but anyway, reason on. A great podcast. While I only found this pod a few weeks ago, it has already become one of my faves. I love that it presents the facts without drama or sensationalism. It doesn't quite feel like a pod, more like listening to a conversation between a couple of your good friends. My favorite part of the pod is that it continues to cover a case that haunts me to the point of obsession. A should agree. Yep. It does us too. It does us too, and that's why we're all in. Yep. You know, we really we really love to do this stuff on her, and, and the more we can find out, the more we can bring to you, and maybe one day we can bring her home. Yeah. We can do it together. Yep. And we try to research as much as we can on her, and we do an episode every once in a while, but... It's tough. It is tough. Yeah. A lot of folks know a lot of stuff, but a lot of folks don't want to tell a lot of stuff. That's true. We've talked to a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of stuff we can't talk about, but they don't want to talk about on the air. So it's just sort of we're stuck in between a rock and a hard place. It's in limbo land. Yeah. But one day we'll get it out there. All right. Moving right along to our second review. This comes from, let me take a deep breath, D H D I H S. U D U D U D U D H D H D H something like that, and we appreciate that, etc. <laughs> so anyway, it it goes on to say one of the best. I found your podcast about a month ago and I binged it. I'm almost caught up. I love the fact you guys keep it real and just tell a story. Give your feedback and don't sugarcoat it. I have heard some of these stories elsewhere, but I really enjoyed your presentation and the take on a lot of them compared to other podcasts. You were just two dudes drinking beer, hanging out, and having a conversation. It's very relatable, which is why I enjoy the show so much. On another note, I think it's a missed opportunity by not referring to the fans as crackheads. I'm just saying, LOL. Thanks, fellas. I love the show. Yeah. Well, really, we really appreciate you saying that. And actually, we had thought about that before, but we just didn't think that'd go over well. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, it's we kind already of a got, bad rap. We already got crack house in the name. So right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it really didn't matter. But anyway, we really appreciate uh, appreciate the words, and uh, that's basically what we're shooting for, dude. We, we know, we just we started doing this, and we really didn't know what we were going to do, and we decided to just be ourselves, and that's what we do. So yeah, be real, man. We just keep it real, and uh, really appreciate you liking it for us just being real, because you know we're not out here faking it. We're just having fun and bringing you bringing you the good word. Yeah. So thanks a lot for taking I mean, the time to, to drop in there and give us a few good words. It means a lot. We uh, enjoy what we do. And those five stars, man, they really uh, they really help in getting the word out to other folks. It helps people find us. It you know it really it does more than just getting you on air. But you know it's good enough for us. Yeah, it works for us. Yep, love it. Yep. All right, Dale. Other than that, we're gonna get going this episode. Let's roll, man. Because we got a 
crazy episode, man. Yeah, we don't get it yelled at. We've been talking no. about two minutes. Yeah, we've done, we've done <laughs> over two minutes. That's right. But today we are talking about a lady by the name of Jodine Elizabeth Saren. But she went by Jody, J-O-D-I. So that's what we're going to call her throughout this episode. Just a little bit of background on Jody. Dale, she was born on November the 21st of 1967 in Los Angeles, California. Hmm. To parents Art and Lois Saren. Her birthdays are fairly close there, about. Yeah. Yeah. And she had a bunch of siblings. I'll go through their names. It was Michael, Nancy, Barbara, Carol, and Chuck. And, you know, I hadn't seen anywhere where Jody was in the rank of these. It gives you the rundown. You mean? Yeah, as yeah. far as the ages, where if she was a middle child or older or what. Uh, it hadn't been stated anywhere, so I don't really know. Okay. But she was, she came from a big family, no doubt. Sure did. Yeah. But shortly after she was born, the family moved to Walton Hills, Ohio, almost all the way across the country. Hmm. And that's where she grew up. And eventually graduated from Bedford High School in 1986. 1986. Yeah. Good year. But Jody, she had a love for flower arrangements, man. That was her thing. Mm-hmm. She's very good at it. And her family actually moved back to California shortly after she graduated high school. And they moved to the Carlsbad, California area. But there she ventured out and earned a certificate in floral design. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And Jody had a, she had an incredible passion for animals. She had a horse named Sam and a cat named Angel. I'm going to tell you, there ain't many cats that are angels. Mm-hmm. If she was one, and I'm a cat guy, I like cats, but, you know, they just give you that look. Yeah. <laughs> cats like, if you want to pet me, come over here. Yeah. And I might let you. Yeah. That's I right. might swatch you. <laughs> yeah. I'll make up my mind when you get here. But it was said that Jody's favorite hobbies were. Horseback riding, ice skating, biking. She loved crafts. She did a little bit of kayaking and taking very long walks on the beach. Hmm. Yep. But Jody, she had a deep passion for helping other people. Yeah. Especially homebound senior citizens. But Jody was diagnosed on the spectrum of schizophrenia, Dale. Right. And this caused her to not be able to hold a job. Yeah, well, you know, basically, it was enough for her to be considered disabled. But as you can tell by all her hobbies, she's not very as far as physically disabled person. And she had actually been living on her own for over fifteen years. So. Yeah. So it was just, I guess, just depends on how what the where on the spectrum she is. I guess. Yeah, but she was very, very high functioning. Very, yes, I agree. But she did still depend on her parents for other parts of her life. Yeah, she didn't work and didn't drive, like you said. But they. The parents would drive her to her appointments and wherever she needed to go. Yep, whatever she wanted to do. And she loved returning the favor to other people, like we talked about, who needed help as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very caring person. Yeah. And she was described as sweet and just a low-profile young girl, the way she was described. Hmm. And Jody was also part of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And she was supported by... This organization, which is an organization that was founded by Harriet Shetler and Beverly Young. And this organization is a U.S.-based advocacy group that identifies their missions as a way of providing education, advocacy, support, public awareness for people and their families that are affected by mental illness. Hmm. Yeah. So that's what she was doing. 
She does a lot. Yeah. Her passion to help others was met by her favorite of walking, and she would join the Walkathon fundraiser, which uh, was part of other groups that she belonged to. Hmm. And she had best friends at Mariposa and the Copper Hill Friends Group because she spent a lot of time there helping people. Mm-hmm. And like we said, she was very close to her parents, and she had a very close and happy relationship with both of them. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, and they always, you know, kept in good contact, you know, either go by to see her or they would talk to her at least once every day. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, we said she was living on her own, and uh, she was living in a condo that her parents owned and got for her. Yes. So she did stay on her own. And this was on the 1900 block of Swallow Lane there in Carlsbad, California. Right. But uh, Jody was living her best life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was uh, doing her thing, giving back to others and going to her club meetings and just having a good old time. But on February the 14th, Valentine's Day of 2007, Jody's parents, Art and Lois, they were going out that night. Mm-hmm. They were going out for a romantic dinner at a local restaurant, and they were going to a movie. Sounds fun. Yeah. And by about 10 p.m. that evening, they got curious about Jody. Right, yeah. They hadn't heard from her that day much. No, nothing. Hold so when they were at the movies, I've heard it reported several different ways. I heard that they didn't even go into the movie, and I heard they watched part of the movie, and I've even heard they watched the entire movie. Right. Well, I think the, what I heard the most was that, you know, they went out to dinner, had a good time, tried to call her, hadn't got a hold of her, and she didn't answer the phone. They went to the movies, and about halfway through the movie, I think Lois just like, look, <laughs> it's, it's eating me up here. We need to live. Well, let's just go and go by and check on her. Yeah. Mother's intuition. So by about 10 p.m. that evening, they got curious about Jody, and they left the movies. Right. And they arrived at her apartment. Yeah, about 10 o'clock. Yeah. And they knocked on Jody's condo front door right there at swallow lane and they approached the door and, and knocked on it and there was no jody answering it no and the parents could see there were lights on and they knocked again mm-hmm. but there was no answer and this when art her dad he had attempted to use the spare key that they had they had a a, a key to her house or her, her condo there right and when he opened the door the chain lock was on the door you know those little chain gimmicks right yeah little chain latch yeah but it wouldn't open the door all the way it was just just stuck on this chain yeah the peekaboo chain <laughs> whatever you call it yeah and when he which looked, was very odd because it never had happened before that chain never, never got locked never as far as when they were going over there he said that uh that had never been locked hmm. which was kind of so it was kind of weird right off the bat but they definitely could tell that all the lights were on in the house could just just seeing through the crack well yeah. as far as i could see anyway i guess i don't see all of them but the lights were on in the house. And they called for Jody. Yeah, still hollered through the, the little crack in the door. And didn't hear anything, couldn't see anything. Thought, well, maybe she may be asleep, but that'd be weird unless she was on the couch or something. I guess that could happen, but she would hear, you know, if he was hollering for her. Thought she might have been in the shower. Maybe or, in the shower, yeah. Yeah, or something, yeah. But after a few more minutes of waiting. Art wasn't having it. He wasn't waiting no more. No. Yeah. So He Art, was worried. He busted the door in, broke the chain off. Yeah, a little shoulder block there. Yeah. And when they got in, the... Apartment didn't seem out of sorts or anything, no. you know, just like it normally is. Hadn't been ransacked, nothing. Everything mm-hmm. was where it should be. Everything looked kosher. Yeah, they were looking around, and they went back toward Jody's bedroom, mm-hmm. and Art opened the door, and there he got a glimpse. Of something he didn't want to see. No, it appeared to him that 
their daughter Jody and a man was having some intimate relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely was. I mean, he could he couldn't realize quick that she was completely naked on her uh, canopy bed, and another guy was partially clothed on top of her, engaged in a act. Yes. Okay. So Art closed the door and told him to get dressed and come out. Yeah. Because he, first of all, I think he was just pissed off because nobody answered the door. And now he's seen what's going on. And then it starts going through his head that maybe this is just somebody who's taking advantage of her because she's so good. She was known like they had been over before and go in and she'd have somebody in there even feeding like a homeless guy or sometimes yeah. even letting homeless people take showers in her or in her bathroom. That's right. So, you know, stuff's going through his head or off the bat that maybe she was being nice to somebody. Now somebody's trying to take advantage of her and he wanted them to come out there and talk to him. Yeah. And I don't blame him. I get it. I mean, he already seen something for dad you don't really want to see. Yeah. Yeah. So they went back into another part of the condo. Yeah. And they well, waited. He went in there told the guy, like you said, you know, get your pants on and get out here and let's, let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> so they went to another part of the condo and they were waiting. Right. And, and he, that's just another part of the story. It's kind of if you was some to say is they went to sit at the kitchen table and chatted while they waited. And others said they went into part, another part, maybe was sitting on a couch or something, but we don't really know, I guess. I mean, can you imagine the conversation they were having? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, awkward. Yeah, I can imagine, but I'm not going to go into that. Awkward. Yeah. But they were waiting. They they waited and waited, and nobody's coming out. Yeah. They I didn't mean, hear nothing. They didn't hear no conversation. They didn't hear no, oh, my goodness. They didn't hear, oh, God, we got to get out. <laughs> you know, Dad's here, nothing. They didn't hear Scrambling nothing. around trying to find your clothes or anything like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. So Art goes back to the bedroom, and he opens the door a little bit. And Jody was laying on the bed, but alone. They, alone. But there was no man there anymore. Yeah, he was gone. He was gone. This is another mystery part of this. We, now, you and I have discussed this. We, we've uh, volleyed this around a good bit. Now we, we do know that this was a a one floor condo, and it was on the ground floor. Ground floor condo, yes. And it seems to be some some folks think that this guy just got his stuff, and it's because they said you couldn't see the bedroom door in the front door at the same from wherever they were sitting but i just don't think the guy went out the front door i'm thinking he went out the window yeah or, or uh, adjacent sliding glass door or something. something like that but i just don't i don't i just don't know that he would be able to get come out of the bedroom go through the house out the front door without being heard or, or seen that would take a lot of balls to go back out that front door <laughs> with uh i'm serious with her parents done caught you in the act oh yeah i'm going out the window yeah. I didn't want to talk to daddy. Yeah. Because you know you got a short window there to get dressed. You go out that window. Right. Yeah. Short window time, you mean. But getting back to it, Art found Jody laying there on the bed by herself. Yes. And he went over to check on her, and she wasn't moving. No. Mm-mm. And he got to checking her, and he pulled her off the bed and started performing CPR. Well, he walked up to her before that and she was very cold to the touch yes and her face and head was kind of had been it was kind of distorted maybe a little bit messed up bloody so he knew something bad was wrong that's when he pulled off the bed and started trying to do cpr because she was not uh responding to anything and his efforts were fruitless yeah while he was doing this she was calling the 911 yeah and even when first responders got there they they, they couldn't do anything for her. Yeah, Jody was, was gone. Yeah, and had been gone. This is kind of a, where it gets a little bad. This gets a little wonky right here. I mean, it's already bad, but we're fixing to get way bad. Yeah, we're going out there. Yeah. Because uh, it appeared that Jody had been dead for several, several hours. We're talking 10 to 12, at least. 
So whoever, rear mortis had already set in, and whoever was in there with her was having sex with her dead body. Yes, necrophilia. Yeah, and apparently had been there for many many hours. Yeah. When they got to look and they noticed that uh, some of the blinds were closed and some uh, some blankets and stuff were hanging up over windows to keep people from being able to see in. So we're figuring he came in, something happened. I mean, there were even like uh, some uh, cups and saucers in the sink like they had come in and had tea together. Or yeah. Something. And uh, there was a pair of shoes by the door that was left there. Yeah. That's another reason we kind of thought maybe he didn't uh, – Go out the door. Because Jody, whenever she had someone over, she always made them take their shoes off before right. coming in. Yeah, so it looked like somebody was just invited in. Yeah, that's what it appeared to be. So, yeah, <laughs> but this ain't good. When they got to looking closer, Dale, there was uh, residual blood that was all over the apartment. Yes. Jody's blood when they tested it. And it appeared... That this man that had been in the apartment with her, or the condo with her, had moved her around the apartment after she had deceased. Yeah, they said it was a lot of cutting had been done. And it was most post-mortem or perimortem, you know, right at, right at the time of death or after from what they could gather. But it was a, a lot in a lot of places. And it appeared How that... How they didn't see that when they first came in, I don't I know. I don't know. Unless it was... I don't know. I guess we ain't looking for it, you know. Well, if she was dead moving around, it would be just residual blood. It wouldn't be like she was... Right, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, no, you're not pumping it out, in other words. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it appeared that uh, this man that would, was in the condo with her had had sex with her all over that apartment, too. Yeah, many, many times. Yeah. Now, yeah, Dale, It didn't look like he was in no hurry to leave, either, if he was still, he was still there at... 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, we've been there for 12 hours. We're going to touch on that part a little bit more in just a little bit. Okay. But now, they got to looking closer in the bedroom, and they found an oval mirror. Yeah. In the bedroom. A big stand-up oval mirror that had been ripped out of its frame, basically. Yeah. One of the legs had been broke off, and it was used to assault Jody. In some kind of way. Yeah. Yeah, whether it was, uh, you know, anyway, some kind of way. (laughs) Assaulted. That's all we're going to say. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. And the mirror was situated also in the bedroom. It had propped up. Yeah. Like, to where whoever was on the bed could watch themselves doing what they were doing. Some kind of voyeuristic. Yeah. And in that part of the leg you were speaking of was also used to prop her up so he could get a better view in the mirror. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. This is a sick individual. Uh, yes. Yeah. Very, very sick person. This keeps getting sicker, doesn't it? Yeah. But they couldn't figure out, like Dale and I talked about, where this man could have left the condo from. Right. They were, If they know, they hadn't said. But there was a lady in a nearby condo that was sitting outside that night. Right. And she got a glimpse of a man running down between the condos. Well, he ran across the terrace and down a hill. Yeah, yes. Running away from the condos. And she didn't really think a lot about it at the time. And I'm assuming she was probably outside smoking or something. Who knows? But. But yeah, that's kind of odd. She didn't really think of nothing about it. And then a, well, like a couple of hours later, well, it probably went a couple of hours. And then a little bit later, she started seeing police helicopters flying around. And then it kind of hit her that, whoa, this, something might be going on. So then she just packed up herself and went inside because it kind of spooked her then. Yeah. It wasn't me too. She didn't know at this point what had went on, but she just seen that they were looking for somebody. She assumed that's who she was, they were looking for. Yeah. But now they did look at those shoes that was left there in the condo. Yes. And like we said, they were very high-end Tennis shoes. Yeah, and, and uh, the lady who saw the person running, 
even though it was dark, said that she noticed that he was barefoot. Okay. So I don't know how close she was or how far away he was or how, how she knew, but that's, that was her. How uh, lit up the area was. That's what she said. Yes. And also they found a sweatshirt out yep. in the. Yeah, well, they brought in some dogs to look for him. Yes. And they run the dogs, but they, somehow or another, they just they lost the scent, which is weird to me. If mm-hmm. he's running, especially if he's running barefoot, you would think, you know, it'd be easy to track him. But said so they did find a sweatshirt, like you said, thrown in some bushes, and they collected it. Yeah. And when they collected that and the tennis shoes, they pulled DNA, and it matched. All three of them matched, and they matched the skin underneath her fingernails, so she did fight back. It wasn't like. This is her boyfriend or nothing. That and the uh, seminal fluids that they found and other stuff, but it all matched to itself. Now they got to talking to Art and Lois. This is Jody's parents, and Art was trying to describe the man that he saw in Jody's bedroom. And he said he was a heavy set guy, maybe with a big belly. Big belly and just, just man. Yeah, five foot eight to six foot tall, and had a bushy head of hair. Like disheveled hair. Yeah. He even described that it could have been one of Jody's ex-boyfriends. Yeah, that's that who could came have come to mind. Over. Yeah, right away it came to mind, and then he told them who, who he thought it was. Yeah, and they went to this guy. Right. And they questioned him pretty heavily, and they asked him for a DNA sample. And he gave it up pretty quick. Yeah, and even uh, told him where he was, and he had an iron cal- ironclad alibi. Yeah. That uh, wherever he told him he was at this time, they actually had found video evidence that that's where he was. Yes. So I think he was pretty much ruled out pretty quick. You know, they did go around the apartment and notice there was no forced entry, you know? Yeah. And, but except for where Dad broke the chain. But it looked like this killer was invited in. Right, invited in, take his shoes off. Come in. Have some tea, chill out, and then who knows what happened after that. Yeah. 12 hours well we know what happened after that but i mean to 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 come to the part where she was killed we don't know we don't know what happened or if that was just his plan the whole time or he was trying something she didn't want to play that game and then he just snapped and dale there was even a two thousand dollar reward that was offered up by crime stoppers yeah because they pretty much run into a dead end right there i mean they had all this dna evidence but they didn't have nobody to match it to yeah and they run it through codis no hits nothing so yeah and kind I'll, of went to a kind of getting cold there. So, like you said, uh, Crime Stoppers put up a $2,000 reward. Yeah, and then Governor at the time, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he offered up a $50,000 reward. So, right. making it $52,000 reward. Yeah, on any information leading to the arrest of this man. That's right. And everyone is focused on that it had to be someone Jody knew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or at least somebody she let in. Yeah, or somebody that she went to some of her meetings with, her... Um, well, you know, and, and that's very possible, you know, because you meet all kind of people because I think some of the places she went or treatment centers like a, a mental health treatment center also did stuff for, for drug treatment, too, even though she did not do any kind of drugs or anything. Mm-hmm. There were people there she did. So it's hard to tell because she met so many people and she was so almost too big hearted. Yeah, she was. You know, so it's very dangerous. So it's just a, it just leaves the. The suspect pool was wide open. It's just huge. Exactly. And she had like six address books that they had to go through and go through each one of them and try to find something that they could, you know, to get a lead with. But, Dale, this case goes cold for 10 years, man. Mm-hmm. This part, what gets me, because you know that 
Art just beats himself up daily. I mean, think about it. He saw the guy. He saw the guy. He was in the house when they came there, and they let him leave. Yeah. I mean, they had no idea that, no. that he wasn't, you know, with her or whatever. That it's they just, weren't an item. They weren't a couple. Right, right. Or, you know, just a, a known friend, a friend benefit, whatever, you know. It just, he was just, you know, these. He probably embarrassed himself and her, or he thought he did. Went back there and sat down, and he had no idea what was going on. And later, it was just—it would just be devastating to me. I just—I can't imagine finding pretty much anyone like this, but one of my girls. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Be bad, especially ten years. Yeah. You know, and after this, you know, the parents—they could always have to leave town on Valentine's Day. Yeah. Because it's just too much. They just go out of town. Don't. Crazy. Yeah. I get that too. Oh yeah. But after 10 years, Parabon Nano Labs steps in. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who don't know, Parabon Nano Labs is a DNA technology company that is developing the next generation therapeutic and forensic products by leveraging the power of DNA. And one of their latest breakthroughs in their DNA snapshot analysis that they use to discover the Golden State Killer. Mm. Yeah. So they've done a lot of good work. Right. Yeah. We talked about this in the case down in Carolina. Yeah, with uh, Faith Hedgepath. Right. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. But they were able to transform the perpetrator's genetic material found in Jody's condo into a digital image of the suspect, Dale. Right. And this advanced process, it predicts an unknown suspect's skin color, eye color, hair color, gender, ancestry, and face shape. And investigators turned to this new and complementary technology, phenotyping and forensic genealogy. Right. And uh, according to its analysis, the subject has fair to light skin, green or blue eyes, blonde or brown hair, and some freckles. This is what they come up with. Right. Just off of DNA. And they found that So he, basically you're saying they can give you a, a uh, photo of what they think he may look like yes with a lot of details yes gotcha. and they found that he was likely in his 30s or 40s and of northern european descent that's crazy isn't it yeah science man and after a digital image was put together on the 10th anniversary of jody's death the police received a photo in order to track down this killer mm-hmm. and we'll put this photo in the description in our social media so you yes. might see that yeah pretty cool and matching this with who Jody's parents saw in our bedroom was a heavyset man, like we said, with a large stomach and disheveled hair. And they estimated that he was around five foot eight inches to six feet tall. That's crazy to me. That yeah. They can tell all that. Yeah. Be kind of neat to do it yourself just to see what they come up with. Yeah. You know, next after uh, we were talking about, you know, phenotyping and uh, parabon and all that, and they got the uh, the snapshot. They still wasn't getting anywhere. They, you know, they posted a picture. They didn't get a lot of hits off of it. So they turned to uh, Colleen Fitzpatrick, who was using Y profile markers of DNA to find surnames. Yes. And, and basically building uh, family trees backwards or so. So she mean. So she came up with two names of Morrison and Merkel, and they were trying to find out something from that. But everything they could they could find wasn't matching up to the description. Yeah, that's right. So even uh, Parabon was like, man, we don't know if it's this one guy that you're thinking about, but possibly could be. But the guy they were looking at was a guy named Mabrito. David Aaron Mabrito. Yeah, and they're going, well, 
I don't, we don't really think that he's a high, highly suspect because the name Mabrito doesn't fit the background information. The Northern European name. Right. Yeah. So they kept looking, and then they run across Barbara Ray Venter, who is in genetic genealogy. And she came up where she found out that this Merkel had been adopted. Yes. The Merkel guy that they found had actually had two sons that were adopted out. Yeah, separately. Yeah, and one was David, and one was another brother that his name has not been given. So well, they started running down that road, and then that's why they figured out that this Mabrito and Merkel, you know, that's why that was their hang-up because of the names. But, yeah. But the, the Merkel had been adopted, and it was now a Mabrito. That's so right. That's why they was like, well. So they're thinking they found the guy, one of his sons is probably the killer, and we need to figure out what's going on. Well, they went to one of the brothers. Yes. The other one that we don't know his name. Right. And they tried to look into him, but he had already he was already dead. Yeah. But he <clears throat> he had actually found his other brother, you know, before because the David guy had no idea he ever had a brother because they were just infants. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they did do a DNA testing from where he had passed away. I think it was in a he was in a cor- correctional facility. I think when he when he passed away, is that right? Yeah, he was. And they actually had a, a DNA you know, we sample there and they run it, but it was not him. No, it wasn't. So they're thinking maybe it was the, his brother now. The other, the other brother. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they got to looking into this David Mabrito. Right. Yeah. But it just so happens there was sometime after Jody had been killed, David was on his way home and his truck broke down. Yes. And he was actually pushing his truck. I don't know if he was pushing it in the road or trying to get it out of the road. Right. But the... It died and he was pushing it. The police showed up. Yeah, Oceanside. Uh, Oceanside, California Police Department. And I guess they were just looking at him, trying to help him. Then they realized that this truck description and David's description was somebody they were looking for. Yeah, it matched a, a Bolo be on, a, be on the lookout for. That's right. For a, for a robbery or something. So... He started questioning him about that and then uh, done some stuff and then actually got him to give up a DNA profile or yeah. a DNA swap that he did, and then he let him go. But so what's it, crazy is this bolo had nothing to do with him. Right. So they figured it out. It had nothing to do with him, so they just – that was the end of it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, they did. So he just went on his way. Mm-hmm. But just a little bit of background on this David Mabrito. He was married to Marissa Mabrito, and they had a son together. Dylan. Dylan. Yeah. But their relationship was pretty rocky, man. Yeah. It was. They. It was good, bad, good, bad, I think. And, but David, he was actually considered homeless. Yeah, transient. Yes. And then basically because he didn't have a permanent address. Yeah. But he would often stay at Marissa's home in her garage. Yeah. She would let him stay there. He'd do that, couch surf, stay with friends. He was a tile fitter by. If he had a job, you know that's what he that's what he did. But he was also a surfer, and just I think he was just he didn't really fit with uh, doing a regular thing. You know, he, yeah. he was doing his own thing, and he and then he also was uh, addicted to meth. Yeah, and he had been on it and off of it, and on it and off of it. And, and I think uh, Marissa had basically had enough of it, and that's why they divorced. You know, he's like it's not that she didn't still care for him because she actually she had to. She still let him come around to come stay. You know, it was just she was just tired of. Uh, of his lifestyle. Yeah. To be blunt. And she wanted a more stable lifestyle. Right. And you can't blame her, especially no. raising a son. And now Dylan's now 18. So, yeah, she's been fighting this for a long time. Yeah. At this point, not not currently. 
But like we said, when uh, David was investigated with his uh, truck, thought he was part of a, a bolo, mm-hmm. they submitted his DNA. Yes. Well, they took it. Yeah, they did take it. And then they got to looking into David, but David was dead. He was dead. Yeah. So at this point, the only thing they figure they can do is go talk to Marissa and Dylan. Tell them what's up and then see if they'll help them. Yeah. And they do. They do. Yeah. They both give up DNA. They do. Yeah. And they, when they checked Dylan's DNA, it came back and it matched with right. David's. So all they needed now was really, I guess, very uh, a little bit better proof, I guess you could say, to, to make sure, for sure, he's the right guy before they go tell her parents yeah. that they found a guy. So it comes up when they start checking into it, the Oceanside still had that DNA swab in storage. In yes, they did. They never run it, but they kept it. They didn't get rid of it. So kudos to them for not just throwing it out. So when they run that and it comes back, and this is in 2018 that they run this, and it comes back a match. It makes one in 64 quintillion. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a number with 18 zeros. Yeah, that's a big number. That, uh, I'm pretty sure that's you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so they pretty much, you know, right there nailed him. They knew exactly that David Mabrito was the was the killer. Yeah. And Marissa, his wife, described David, you know, at times when he would be on meth, that if he was doing something, he was, I don't know. He was super focused and did it over and over and over. Yes. There. He was yes. just super into it. I mean, it's just right on it. Yeah, so that's why we, Dale and I thought that when he was in Jody's condo having his way with her, yeah, uh, he was high on meth. Yeah. Because he'd done that for 10 to 12 hours. Right. Yeah. And it's, it said it was even possible he was ingesting while he was there, and, and I don't doubt that either. Probably was. Probably was. Yeah. And then it just heightens all his senses, so, you know, as sexual and all that stuff, it's just going to be 100 times more than normal. And now he can just, after whatever happened to her or off the bat, he can just do whatever he wants to as long as he wants to. Yeah. But what happened was after David had gotten investigated for that bolo uh, he went back to his wife's house and told her what had happened, and he got nervous. He didn't tell her about the murder. He told her that he had given up a DNA. Set. Yeah, that's when he got nervous. Well, actually, I think he told her that he was just he was really worried about some stuff, and I don't even know that he told her that. He may not have. I think that come up when the police come up because she had no idea why the cops were coming to talk to her, and they told her that. So then she put it together that he would come to her, and she was super nervous, or he was super nervous about something, and. He wanted to stay there for a while. She let him stay there. Her and Dylan was going out of town and said, you just hang out at our place, and then when we get back, we can talk about this or whatever, you know. And they left, but when they came back, he was dead of apparent drug overdose in her house. Yeah. So that's why he was passed away, and they couldn't, you know, do anything with him. He had killed himself, and this was like a week after, as far as we know, this was a week after uh, giving up that uh, DNA sample. That DNA sample. Yeah, that's right. Or at least it was a week after he told her about it. So we're, we're not we're a little foggy on the exact time that they took the DNA. How much time between that and when he told her? Yeah, but know. that was. But it was really worrying. Yeah, worrying. that was a catalyst for him uh, killing himself. Uh, we think so. Yes. Yeah. It didn't mm-hmm. look like it was a uh, accidental. You know, and Marissa and her son Dylan, they were hounded pretty hard, man. Yeah. Basically, the, she had to cut her phone off for like three months because there were people calling her monster and everything. Like, she knew what was going on. She, they had no clue. Yeah. And if you think about it, really, they're basically the heroes in this in this case. 
They really are. I mean, that's stepping way out. I mean, yeah, you find out that, you know, your dad or your husband is this killer and done this awful thing. But Marissa had really beat herself up over him killing himself because she was, didn't, you know, thought she could do something about it. She had no idea why. All this background stuff. Until after this. And then it's like, oh, so, you know, she can take a little bit of heat off herself knowing that it wasn't nothing that, you know, she could have done. It was just bad stuff and it was eating him up. But the Carlsbad Police Department, they did recognize Marissa and Dylan and they presented him with a an award for what they did. They to were help, recognized, yes. Yeah, for solving this case. Yeah. And, you know, and and stating that they had nothing to do with it and knew nothing about David's past yeah. on murdering Jody. Right. And what was really cool is uh, Art and Lois Saren went to that little ceremony. Yeah. Very yeah, cool. That is, yeah. You know, and then, you know, you know, kudos to Art and them too, you know, for doing all the things they did. They used this as, we can't help our daughter, but we might can help somebody else. And then they pushed for that legislation to have anyone who was arrested for a felony to have, automatically have to give up their DNA. Not necessarily um, convicted, but if you were arrested for a felony. Yeah. But Art and Lois, man, they they done a lot of good work helping other families with the uh, Children that had been killed or murdered, had lost their son or daughter. Yeah, yeah, they fought for everything. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't just give it up; they just continue, kept on keeping on. You know, it's sad that uh, David killed himself and didn't receive any justice for this. Right. Well, I guess that's self justice. Yeah, know. a little bit higher justice. Yeah. But uh, that is the story of Jody Saren. Yeah, you know, for years that was the only unsolved murder in Carlsbad. Yeah, for years, years, yeah. And years yeah, yeah. So I know it took a lot of years to get to get it solved, but it is solved. Yeah, they uh, kept with the technology and let the technology improve, and it caught up and caught him. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing what they can do. Yeah, very very cool, man. They can do that stuff. Yep. All right, bud. That is uh, the story of Jody Sharon. Well, it's a sad one. Yeah, it's not not really our Valentine's Day <laughs> romantic tale, but you know. That's nope. what we do here, ain't it? <laughs> no, but we want to do a, a solved case for Rena. Yep. Yep. She was telling us the other day that she likes cases that have a an ending to them. Yeah, it just drives her crazy when they're <laughs> when they're not solved. The not knowing. The not knowing. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess that's part of the game. All right, that one's for you, Rena. All right. Hope you enjoyed it. All right, we're gonna get out of here, dude. All right, let's roll. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about. You. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy. 
120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.